Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will start a new Bible series on the book of Hebrews with the first message entitled, The Glory of Christ. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let us pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you for speaking to our forefathers in many portions and in many ways. If one cannot understand one portion, he can understand another portion. Thank you, O God, for speaking to us finally and fully in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, in these last days in which we live. It is great to know that our God is infinite and personal, living and true God. A God who communicates, reveals himself to us. Without that revelation, we would not know you. Thank you for your gracious disclosure of yourself to us. And we pray that you help us to put away all distractions from our mind. Because we have come to that portion of worship in which the eternal living God is speaking to us. To teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. Lord, make us alive by your word because your word is spirit and your word is life. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen. In this church we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. So today, we begin preaching from the epistle to the Hebrews. It is a mystery epistle. We do not know who wrote it or to which church the writer wrote it. But if you read the epistle, which is called an exhortation, if you read it, it seems it was written to a Hellenistic Jewish Christian congregation, possibly in Rome, which was being persecuted for its faith in Jesus Christ. And this congregation was under severe pressure to give up their confidence and faith in Jesus and go back to Judaism to avoid further trials. So the author is encouraging these believers to persevere in the faith till death to obtain better things through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the great high priest of their salvation. In the East and in the West, for many centuries, people thought the author was Saint Paul. Today, that view is not held by most scholars. Only God knows who really wrote this epistle. It appears it was written before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Now let's come to the introduction, the first four verses. This introduction deals with the ultimate reality of the communicating infinite personal true and living God. The gods of the pagans are idols which cannot speak to man. The God of the scriptures is living God who in grace reveals himself to us. And that's the reason we 
can know who God is, who we really are, what the world around is all about, because of God's revelation. We know about creation, fall, and God's gracious redemption of a people for himself. Atheism denies God. Pantheism identifies creation with God. Deism denies God's present involvement with creation. I say to you, only Christianity teaches that ultimate reality is the infinite, personal, triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are told that this revelation has been progressive. One revelation by the same God given to men in two phases. From Moses to Malachi, God spoke to our forefathers in the prophets. In the Old Testament, God promised a Messiah. Then in the second phase, in the New Testament, God spoke to us in his Son, Jesus Christ. New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise of a Savior. Both Testaments are the revelation of God himself. We are told in the scriptures that all scripture is God-breathed, that is, God-spoken, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. And St. Peter tells us no prophecy of scripture came about by prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we believe in this church. We believe that the revelation of God in the sacred scriptures is completely inherent and totally trustworthy for our faith and life. So let's pay attention to the glory of this Jesus, the Son of God. We read then that in these last days, he spoke to us in his Son. That's the first point. Jesus Christ is God's Son. Jesus Christ is God's incarnate Son. In his eternal Son incarnate, God spoke to us in these last days. Jesus inaugurated the last days. And these last days, the Messianic age, continues on. We live in the Messianic age, and it will continue until Jesus Christ comes again in great glory. The prophets were men of the earth from below. They were sinners, just like us. But the Son is from heaven. The Son is eternal Son. The Son is God himself. So the revelation of God in his son is full revelation and final revelation. I say to you, there is no more revelation. 
There is no fresh revelation. There is no new revelation. Our responsibility is to listen to the voice of God in the scriptures and respond to God obediently. Our responsibility is not to seek a fresh new word. It is not going to come. That fresh new word that comes to people is coming from the devil himself. Do you long to hear God speak to you? Then listen to the scriptures. Then listen as I declare the word of God to you for your everlasting encouragement. No theologian, no philosopher, no scientist, no guru can give you a new word, a different word, any revelation that is contradicting the full revelation of God in the scriptures. It is not from God. It is an anti-word. It is from the devil himself. God has spoken finally in his son. Who is God himself. He is the great prophet. Superior to all other prophets through whom God spoke to us. But his son is more than a prophet. Now we know Muhammad calls him a prophet inferior uh, to Muhammad himself. Yet Jesus Christ is Muhammad's God. Whom he ought to have worshipped. The son is Muhammad's judge, creator and God. So we read in the scriptures that the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. The glory of Jesus. Secondly, we are told here he is the creator of all things. Verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he has made the universe. He is the creator of the world. This world is not an impersonal universe. Son, by his command, created the world for the Father. Therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ has a personal interest in his creation. This truth denies all evolutionary hypothesis popular today because of its atheistic foundation. Out of nothing, universe, out of inanimate matter, life, and out of animals, man, and so on. This is no explanation. It is sheer irrationality. It is not explaining the origin of anything. The writer to the Hebrews tells us the Son created the universe, so he is the Lord of all history. Let's turn to the book of John. In chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him, that is, through the Word, through Christ. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
Or turn to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Beginning with verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, hold together. The Son also is the creator of the new heaven and the new earth. And it is he who makes us new creation. So the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. St. Paul tells us in Galatians, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. And that's what he has done with us. We are new creation. Let's praise God. Creator-creature distinction should be basic to all sound thought. All creation is the work of Jesus Christ. If so, Jesus Christ is almighty and all-wise. This Jesus Christ, in other words, is God himself. Thirdly, we are told in this introduction that God has appointed this son heir of all things. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things by virtue of his creating all things. But in view of his successful mediatorial work of our redemption, the father also appointed him heir of all things. Turn with me to book of Psalms chapter 2 and verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. He is the owner of all things, nothing excluded. The wonderful thing about this truth is if he is the heir of all things, all who are united to Jesus Christ by faith will also become heirs with him of all things. And so we read in Hebrews 1 verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Or chapter 6 and verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his promise very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Let's look at what St. Paul is speaking about this privilege we have to become heirs. Romans 8 and verse 17. Now if we are children, then heirs. Then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. The 17th century theologian John Trapp counseled people. And this is what he said. Be married to this heir of all and have all. He pays all our debts. And he gives us all his wealth. So St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Brothers and sisters, we are rich indeed, very rich. Jesus came to make us Poor people, rich in him. And finally, and fourthly, we look at verse 3. 
we are told that Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is light proceeding from the Father. As light beam comes from the sun, S-U-N. The sun, S-O-N, is light proceeding from the Father. As light beam comes from the sun. This speaks about the oneness of the Son with the Father. Son is the same in essence as the Father. Jesus is ceaselessly the radiant light of God's glory. The Son shares the essence, the nature of God the Father. Son is God. Number five. We are told he is the exact representation of his being. Verse three. Exact representation is translation of one word, character. The word character comes from the Greek word character. This speaks especially of the otherness of the Son from the Father. Father and the Son are distinct persons. Yet Son is the true copy of the Father. Character in Greek means true copy. He is of the same nature as the Father. Yet he is a different person. Let's turn to the book of John. Let's understand the glory of this Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let us read it again. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That speaks about distinction. And the Word was God. That speaks about the truth that Son has the same nature as God himself. He was with God in the beginning. And look at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has exegeted him, has made him known. Turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus Christ. And chapter 2 of Colossians verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. One in essence, but distinct in person. Jesus Christ, in other words, makes visible the invisible God. You want to know God? Look at Jesus Christ. In his person and his work, he reveals God, whom we cannot see. So turn to the book of John, John's Gospel, 14th chapter, 8 and 9th words. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Oh yeah, that will be enough for you? Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How then can you say, show us the Father? Jesus Christ reveals God the Father. Number six, in verse three, we are told that he sustains, maintains all things by the word of his power. Jesus Christ is the sustainer, preserver of all created things. And it is a present participle, Pharaoh. Jesus Christ continuously sustains and maintains all creation. 
and directs all creation to God-ordained goal and consummation. That's what it means to sustain and maintain and bring it to God-ordained goal. All things are sustained and maintained by him. All creation, which includes devil and demons. And all unbelieving people of the world. If you are an unbeliever, you are sustained by him. You breathe by him. You exist by him because of common grace. This includes us, his bride, his body, his church, that he redeemed. This includes all nations and potentates. This includes all idolaters and false religionists. This includes the smallest particle and the largest star in his universe. This includes every sickness and every pathogen. He sustains all till the end by his powerful word. His word created all things and his word sustains all things. Let me tell you, the continuing stability of the universe is due to Jesus Christ. Don't forget, Jesus Christ particularly sustains you if you have trusted in him by his special grace. He sustains the sparrows, the lilies of the field. He especially sustains you. So Jesus Christ said, don't be anxious. The Lord is my shepherd. He shall lack nothing. Fear not. Jesus Christ is bearing you up in being. And he shall never fail or falter. So we are told by St. Paul, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is Jesus Christ who sustains you in your education in this university. Jesus Christ keeps his universe, Isaiah says, in the hollow of his hand. It is he who maintains creation in being. Universe does not hold together by itself. The creation is held together in Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.17. When you study creation, you discover his laws placed in creation. So you are to praise him for such discovery, not to deny him. Number seven, the most important issue here is, verse three, after he had provided purification for sins, he is our great high priest. All of a sudden the issue of sin is introduced. This means there was creation, there was fall. And now, thank God, there is redemption. God is holy, but man became filthy due to his sin. Man is to be destroyed for his stubborn rebellion against his creator, owner, and sustainer, God. Yet God has sent his only son to make atonement for our sins. Jesus Christ, God-man, the sinless one, came into this world as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. No one else was good enough to deal with our sin. 
and guilt. The seed of the woman, the son of Abraham, son of David, the virgin born, Jesus Christ became our great high priest and he himself became the perfect sacrificial victim. By Christ's blood shed on the cross, he cleanses our conscience and makes us perfect to enjoy fellowship with our God, who is perfect. So Paul says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We are told here, Jesus Christ provided purification for our sins. How? By his sacrifice of himself. Turn to Hebrews 9 and verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so we may serve the living God. Chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And John tells us, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need cleansing. Turn with me to Psalm 51, where David, having committed such terrible sin, cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Jesus Christ, by his death, provided cleansing for our sins. The work of atonement was more difficult than the work of creation or the work of sustaining. He created and he sustains by the word of his power, but the work of redemption required his humiliation, his incarnation, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The wages of our sin is death. Christ Jesus in our place and for our sins died on the cross. Thus he provided purification for filthy sinners like us, once and for all. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Away with all self-esteem idea. You are filthy sinners, rebels, under the wrath of God. And thank God for the Son who provided purification for our sins by his shed blood. And let me tell you, there is no other Savior. Turn with me to John 14 and verse 6, John's Gospel. Listen to what he says. This is why we say all other religions are false. There is no salvation in any other religion except in Christianity. John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And notice the exclusivism. No one comes to the Father except through me. The same is true. St. Peter tells us in 
in Acts chapter 4, drawing his revelation from Isaiah, he says, 4.12 of Acts, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And we have preached from the book of John, 1 John, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. The Son provided purification for our sins. I say for all our sins. Everyone who repents and trusts savingly in Jesus Christ has been cleansed of all sins. Now he could approach God with confidence to worship him. Because his filth has been taken care of. Now you ask the question, whatever happened to our sins? We are told in John 1.29, Jesus Christ has taken away, far away, our sins. The Lamb of God who took away all our sins. You don't see it and he doesn't see it. Listen to the prayer of David in Psalm 51. Blot out my transgression. Wash me, cleanse me. And that's what he did. He blotted it out. You can look and you will not see it. It's gone forever, sir. No longer with us. Jesus Christ, by his blood, washed away our sins. And he cleansed all the stains in our conscience. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, we read this. He has made our conscience as white as snow. Isaiah 38 verse 17 says he put all our sins behind his back. Not in front of him, thank God. It's behind his back. That is, he does not see them again to judge us. He judged our sins in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43 verse 25 he says, He blotted them out and he remembers our sins no more. Jeremiah 31, 34 says he forgave all our sins and wickedness. And Prophet Micah in chapter 7 verse 19 he says he has tread our sins underfoot. Defeated its power. Conquered our sins. He destroyed its power. He hurled all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. They shall not be brought back to be punished again. All our sins have been punished by the Holy God in Jesus Christ, His Holy Son. In Christ, we have been made clean of all our filth of sin. In other words, in Christ, we have been justified. We have been clothed with the perfect, unimpeachable righteousness of Jesus Christ, which gives us confidence and boldness to approach the throne of God. Number eight, of course, we are told in verse three, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You must understand the Aaronic priests of the Old Testament period never sat down. There was no chair in the tabernacle or in the temple. Their work was never finished. They had to offer sacrifices daily. 
But our great high priest, the Son of God, by offering himself as a perfect sacrifice in our behalf to God, he atoned for all our sins. He is our propitiation. His work is done. So Jesus Christ cried out from the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. No more repetition of sacrifices. So Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, ascended into the heaven, and he is seated in the most honored place because of his mediatorial work in behalf of us. He is seated on the right hand of the greatness in heaven. That's the Greek language. He alone is the great one. And he is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. Turn to Psalm 110 because that is what is in the author's mind. Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let me tell you, it is the intention and purpose of God to defeat every enemy of Jesus Christ. And bring them as footstool of Jesus. Every enemy shall feel the weight of his feet on their neck. Or turn to Ephesians 1. And let's read what St. Paul is speaking about. This seated son. Chapter 1 beginning with verse 20. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every title that can be given. Not only in the present age. But also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. All things. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Turn to First Corinthians. If you are a rebel and if you don't understand, let me tell you, it is also the purpose of Jesus, the seated Christ, to make every unbeliever realize that he is victor, he is conqueror, he is king. So we read First Corinthians 15 and verse 27. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under his, under Christ. Let's uh, read from verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That verse tells you it is not only the Father's intention to defeat all Christ's enemies. It is also the Son's intention. Let me ask you, you think they will succeed? He rules now. He is king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And as king, he defeats all rebels who will not trust in him. And we are told as priest king, he is also making intercession before the Father for us. So by way of conclusion, let me ask you again, do you desire for God to speak to you personally then understand he is speaking to you in the scriptures and understand he is speaking to you right now 
God has spoken in the past by the prophets. God has spoken in the Messianic age in his son. In the New Testament. Written by the apostles. And God speaks today in the scriptures through his appointed pastors and teachers. Let me read to you from chapter 3 of Hebrews. It says, verse 7 and 8, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You are hearing his voice. Today you are hearing his voice. Repent, believe in Jesus Christ. I say to you, avail yourself of this great provision of the purification for sins provided by the atonement of Christ. God is speaking to you in grace. He doesn't have to speak to anybody. Revelation is a gracious act. Please listen to him. We are told his words are words of eternal life. St. Peter says, where can we go? You, that is you alone, have the words of eternal life. But if we reject him and his word, let us be aware that he is the son, he is God, he is the seated king who shall defeat all his enemies. So we read in John 12, verse 48, the words that give life shall also judge and condemn those who reject him. Let me read to you from two portions of scripture, Hebrews 10, 28 uh, through 31. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished? Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them? And who has insulted the spirit of grace. Every unbeliever does this. And chapter 12 and verse 25. See to it. See to it brothers and sisters. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. How much less will we if we turn away from him who wants us from heaven. God is speaking. I beseech you by the mercies of God. Believe Father's revelation in his son. Bow down before him. Worship him. I said he is the son. The final revelation. He is the creator of all things. He is the heir of all things. He is the divine radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact representation of his being. He is the sustainer of all things. And he is our great high priest and savior. And he is the king of kings and lord of lords. Finally, let me say to you. Let us hear our heavenly father's counsel. On the mount of transfiguration. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Help us. Not to treat your revelation with contempt. Not to treat your son. With despising. And unbelief. Help us this morning. To fall down. And worship your son. 
Jesus Christ our Lord and be saved. In his name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to part one of the new Bible series on the book of Hebrews. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.